We live in a world where the news is at our fingertips, where we're one click or swipe away from the latest headlines. But how often do we stop swiping and scrolling and just listen? It's the difference between knowing what's in the headlines and understanding how it got there. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take, Al Jazeera's daily news podcast, where we bring you the context and the people behind the global stories that matter. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. So we've been asking people to write in about topics that they want to hear on this program. And one that we've heard a lot about is the topic of... Electoral reform. Yes, indeed. Now, this is a phrase that can be deceptively boring, but the idea is to look at whether or not we're going about our democracy in, like, completely the wrong way. Right now, of course, we have a system where you only need to win by getting more votes than any of your opponents, and this is called First Past the Post. So here's Brenda Oslowski from Fairvote Canada explaining why she thinks our system doesn't work. It gives distorted results. It doesn't allow uh, the majority of people to have representation. So, for example, in the last federal election, the federal liberals got about 40% of the vote, but ended up with 54% of the seats. The liberals say they're going to end first past the post, but they haven't decided what's going to take its place. So they're going to be looking at things like ranked ballots, online voting, and proportional representation. Now, that last one, proportional representation, would mean that if you get, say, 40% of the vote, you should have 40% of the seats in government. We wanted to learn more about what electoral reform might look like in Canada, so we're going to have a conversation about a country that's already been through it. I'm Desmond Cole. I'm Andre Demise. And this is Canada Land Commons. This episode of Canada Land Commons is sponsored by Canadian Journalists for Free Expression. CGFE advocates for the right to free expression in Canada and around the world. One thing they're working on right now is the Free Rasul campaign. Their campaigns and advocacy officer, Rignam Wongkong, told me about it. Mohammed Ismail Rasul is a journalist for Vice News, and he was covering the conflict in Turkey with two other Vice journalists who were British. All three of them were locked up for covering the, the protests and the conflict. Uh, however, the two British reporters were released after international campaigns, but Rasul is still in prison. And this is why we've been advocating for him. People might think that these advocacy initiatives do not work, but we have solid proof that they do work in terms of the campaign that we've run for Mohammed Fahmi. So we've issued a letter to the president of Turkey, uh, Erdogan, with signatories from over 35 organizations from around the world calling for the immediate release of Mohammed Ismail Rasul. CGFE could do this type of work without support from members. Go to cgfe.org to sign up. You'll be helping a great cause. Listeners of Commons get 70% off of membership when they use the code CANADALAND. So do it. Help Rasul and others like him. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp, therapy online that has served over 3 million people around the world and BetterHelp is available here in Canada. A lot of people have various blocks or reasons why they don't just reach out for that help. And one thing you'll hear people say is they just don't have the time. I would like to mount a different uh, argument here, which is that if you are talking to a mental health professional, if you're if you're chatting with somebody about your life and about your priorities, you can clear away a lot of the clutter. You can actually find yourself with more time because you have a better sense of what's important to you. Like it's an investment that can pay off even in that practical way of of 
organizing your life a bit better. These are some of the advantages in, in the long run of having something like BetterHelp in your life. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to the show, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Once again, it's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. In 1993, New Zealand adopted a form of proportional representation. Then in 2011, they held a referendum on whether to keep it or not. At the time, Alex Cruz was campaigning for the New Zealand Green Party. Now, he didn't get a seat, but the country did vote to keep the system. It's called the Mixed Member Proportional System, or MMP. And we have Alex joining us from Drumhill, Alberta. Alex, hello. Hi there, guys. So, Alex, we're really fascinated to hear about your experiences with a different electoral system than ours in New Zealand. But... The first question I have for you is that we have a system that we call first past the post here in Canada. What is wrong, if anything, with our first past the post system in this country? I think it really comes down to fairness at the end. And um, the main thing under first past the post is you don't end up having all votes counting the same. So whether or not your vote carries a lot of weight depends on whereabouts in the country you live. And I would say that that's not particularly democratic. Well, how, how is it they don't count? So, for example, uh, where I live out here in Drumheller is one of the most conservative ridings in Canada. The conservative candidate here gets 81% of the vote. So this last election, he got 47,000 votes and the liberal candidate got 5,000 odd votes. And I'm sure he likes having that big a majority. But if you're a conservative strategist, you could argue that those 42,000 extra votes don't count for the conservative party at all. On the flip side, if you're living in a riding such as mine and you were to vote for the Liberal candidate, well, that's also probably a wasted vote because you have a pretty good idea that they're not going to win out here. So all of the votes for any of the alternatives were also wasted. So uh, come election day, I think it's pretty hard to get yourself motivated to vote in a riding such as this one. Can you explain to us what your alternative is, the mixed member proportional system? So essentially what happens in New Zealand under MMP is we have two votes and one goes for the person in the riding that you want to support and one goes for the party you want to support. And you can choose to have the person and the party be the same or you can choose to split those votes. In New Zealand, there are 120 seats in our House of Representatives, 71 are apportioned to ridings and the remainder go to people who are chosen off the party's lists. Any party that makes over 5% of the vote will be represented in the House of Representatives and any person who wins their writings obviously will be represented in the House of Representatives. And what happens is the vote share on the party vote is split out. So the House essentially looks the way that the vote looks. So if a party gets 20% of the vote, they will have 20% of the members of parliament. Well, right now in the first past the post system, every MP that's elected represents a certain writing. So these party list members that are elected based on the proportional system, who do they represent and where? They represent the country more broadly. I mean, they still often campaign in a local area, but people who have chosen to vote for those parties because of the people who are on the list. The lists are disclosed to everyone in the country before the election is held. So you can see what the party's list looked like and you can say, oh, that party looks like they've got a great list of candidates. I'm, I'm going to support those. So um, instead of having to win a particular riding, you can campaign across the country. And it also means you can get people, I guess, with a bit more special expertise. There's a little bit less of a geographic focus. Right now, there are 338 members in parliament. Does that mean that we cut that number in half and then I guess half of them become the party MPs? Or do we add more MPs? 
So that's an interesting question. In New Zealand, uh, there was a bit of both. So uh, at the same time, they introduced MMP in New Zealand. They took the size of parliament from 99 to the current 120. But it wouldn't necessarily have to be that way. That's, that's a decision that would need to be made. You could essentially create rather large writings. Then you'd still have the local MPs without necessarily having to increase the size of parliament. So, Alex, you talk about these party lists that are used to essentially ensure that the proportion of vote you get is the same proportion of seats that you get. How does the party choose who gets to be on this list and who's at the top? I can only really speak for the Green Party in New Zealand, which I was involved in, and they have a very open democratic process where all of the members of the party can vote uh, for all of their candidates to go on the list and on the list order ranking. Some of the other parties follow different methods. Some of them have lists that are made up by delegates from within the parties, and some have the real old boys club sort of situation where some higher ups in the party make the decision on the list. One thing that I have noticed is that the parties in New Zealand have been trending towards creating their lists in a more democratic fashion. So that uh, has become more fashionable as the parties have got more used to MMP. But really, it's up to the parties themselves how they make the lists. The one thing I will say is that it's in the party's best interest to choose good candidates. Because at the end of the day, if you don't have good candidates on your list, then people aren't going to vote for you. Now, when you yourself were campaigning, there was a referendum happening over whether you're going to keep the current voting system. So when you were knocking on doors, what were people saying to you about the referendum and, and your voting system? So I was mostly campaigning in a, in a writing that was uh, very much one with a lot of young people. Uh, where I was campaigning was a, a university city. And younger people tend to be much more in, in favor of MMP, maybe because it's the system they've known for all of their voting lives. So I was definitely in a very supportive writing when it came to MMP. What issues people did have were largely around some of the intricacies of how that's working. So, for example, I mentioned that in New Zealand, a party has to reach 5% of the vote across the country of the party vote to uh, get representation in parliament. And some people thought that that should be lowered. There was also an issue where if you're a small party and you win a riding, but you don't get to the 5% threshold, Under the current system in New Zealand, you can bring other members of parliament in with you based on the percentage that you get in the party vote. And so some people weren't particularly happy with that because it led to some tactical situations where parties were essentially ceding writings to other friendly parties so that they would win those writings and bring in extra MPs. So there was a bit of gaming of the system. So where people, most of the people were unhappy, it was often more to do with the intricacies of the system rather than the system as a whole. And I think that's played out in the 2011 referendum as well. The percentage of people that voted to keep MMP was 57%, which was 4% higher than the initial vote in 1993. I think there are still a lot of people who maybe don't understand the, the finer points of how it all works. That's one thing I would say if I'm making recommendations for Canada, I really don't want to see the Liberals in this government, if they're going to follow through with electoral reform, just sit out and say, okay, we're going to have MMP now. I really think it's worth taking the time and having some sort of a national discussion on these big constitutional issues and making sure that you do have the buy-in from the public. But that really has to begin by having discussions. I I think one thing that uh, New Zealand hasn't necessarily done particularly well in is uh, civics education in terms of educating young people in how the voting system works. What do you say to the idea that if you introduce a system like MMP, then you open the door to fringe parties? In the sense that Syriza, which is a hard left party in Greece, got its foot in the door and became more popular. But at the same time, 
there was also the Golden Dawn Party, which is a sort of a modern neo-Nazi party. So how do you stop that from happening? Ideally, that plays out within the parliament. The thing is, those parties will need to likely work with other parties in order to form any sort of government to enact any any of their policies, which usually actually has a de-radicalizing effect. But I haven't I haven't really seen any sort of de-radicalization for the Golden Dawn. I mean, there were attacks happening in Greece against uh, people of color, and uh, the Golden Dawn was cheering this on. So it's almost like they got a platform for those views. That's true, and that is problematic. The thing is with the Golden Dawn, ideally they're ne- never going to receive enough, a big enough proportion of the vote that they end up having control of the parliament. So they may have those policies and they may run on a big platform of fear, but they'd need 50% popular support to ever introduce those policies, or they'd need to go into coalition with another party who is going to support a lot of those policies. They do represent a view, as abhorrent as that is, but there are checks and balances within the system, hopefully, to ensure that they don't end up with getting a significant enough proportion of the vote where they have any ability to influence policy. You know, we have a majority government right now, and a lot of people think that that's good, not necessarily because of their feelings about the liberals, but because they see it as being decisive. So what's your response to that? I think that was a big concern that people had in New Zealand too when MMP was first introduced, that it would somehow weaken the government and that you would end up also with a really volatile government because one thing that happens is, yes, you do end up with minority governments a lot of the time. And I guess the concern was that that would lead the governments to to fall more often. All I can say really in, in New Zealand's case is that hasn't been the case. All of the governments that have come in since 1996, which was the first election that was held under MMP, have gone to full term. There hasn't been volatility in New Zealand's government, nowhere near the volatility that there has been in Canada, for example, with the snap elections, going back the last few elections. And then in terms of strong government versus weak government, there is an argument to be made for that. However, in some ways, it does lead to more stability. If you have a situation like what's occurring at the moment, where you have the Liberals taking over from the Conservatives, for example, one of the first things the Liberals are going to do is undo a whole bunch of conservative policies. Whereas if you have a minority government where they need to get support of other parties, maybe that doesn't get done so quickly and you don't get policy thrown out necessarily just for ideological reasons, but there has to be a big, strong reason debate around why you're doing that. Can you give us an example in New Zealand of different parties having to work together on an important piece of legislation? So a really good example of that recently is the marriage equality legislation. And what happened there is it was actually legislation that was introduced by an opposition member of parliament through what was called a private member's bill. But because marriage equality was an idea that had got a lot of popular support, it managed to pass through the House and was brought into law, even though there was a Conservative government at the time. And to the National Party, the Conservative uh, government that we have at the moment's credit, they decided to let it be a conscience vote, and many of their members of parliament were in support of marriage equality when it went through. But one of the interesting things is you saw parties of the left, like the Green Party that I represent, alongside much more libertarian parties on the right. Those were the parties that were really advocating for this, even though they might not agree on much else. While we're discussing reforms, there's also the matter of ranked ballots. Some municipalities in New Zealand use it. Matter of fact, some municipalities in North America use ranked ballots. So how does that system work? So the ranked ballot initiative is probably a lot more similar to the the first-past-the-post system that uh, your listeners here in Canada will be more familiar with, in that you get one vote. However, instead of just voting for one person, you get to list your candidates in order of preference. And 
The good thing about this is it means that less votes are wasted and you end up with a more proportional outcome. So, sorry, order of preference means uh, that uh, I get to list Andre as my first choice for office, although I would never do that. And, uh, you know, Kevin, our producer, might be second, my second option. And so I put a number two beside him. You, Alex, might be my third choice. So I put a number three beside your name, that kind of thing. Right, that's right, yes. And you, you go down and list any candidates that you want to give support to. And the good thing about that is, if, for example, Andre is not a very popular option in this office pool you have going, and uh, he comes in last, then your, your vote will transfer from him onto Kevin. So then Kevin gets your support. So in, instead of having voted just for Andre and having had that vote be wasted, now Kevin gets your support if he's the guy you'd prefer next. What do you say to people who are skeptical of making any kind of change in Canada's electoral system. It's just too complicated. We're doing okay relatively with the system that we have now. What do you say to the skeptics? I really think it's worth doing. I think having a parliament that better represents the people who are voting for them is really crucial. And one of the outcomes we've seen from the MMP experiment in New Zealand is our parliament's a lot more diverse. If you have a first-past-the-post system where you have to win writings, then you're going to put four candidates who look like candidates. So traditionally, those have been older white men, right? And if you have a party list, it opens it up and you can get a lot more diversity. And that's played out in New Zealand's parliament as well. There's been a lot more Maori members of parliament there have been a lot more women. We've had a Rastafarian member of parliament. We've had trans members of there parliament. There are Rastafari people in New Zealand? Yeah, we, we had a Rastafarian member of parliament. He's not there any longer, but he was one of the early Green MPs. He was a guy called Nando Tanzos. So... Big ups on salutations, conquering lion. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, yeah, you end up with a parliament that represents the people that it's trying to represent. And I think that's really key. It might be a hard process, a long process, and a complicated process, but it's a process worth doing all the same. I don't know. If it means that we might get a, a Rastafari MP here in Canada, I think it's all worth it. <laughs> can't, pro- can't promise him. <laughs> <laughs> well, Alex Cruz joining us today from beautiful Drumheller, Alberta. Thanks very much for digging into the subject of electoral reform with us. We appreciate it. Not a problem. Thank you. So that gives you a sense of what proportional representation and one form of it specifically could look like in Canada. So again, there are a few systems and the Liberals haven't committed to one in particular. But of course, plenty of people think that we maybe don't need to change the system at all. One of those people is Jim Burnett. Jim is the vice president at The Pathway Group, a political affairs and government relations firm in Toronto. Okay, so Jim, on a scale of indifferent shrug to total election apocalypse how do you feel about electoral reform you know i think we have to look at it you know two ways here there's the two d's is there an ability to actually do this and is it desirable right right um i think the problem is that um can we actually do it under our system if you look at the, the history of this country it's very hard to change the constitution it's very hard to change our electoral system. If you look at the Senate reform that Stephen Harper campaigned on a long time ago, it didn't happen. And it didn't happen because our country is very complex and uh, there's agreements with uh, representation why certain provinces have certain numbers of seats, right? 
So there's certain concessions that need to ha take place and probably reopening the Constitution to actually change the electoral system. But what about the desirable part? What about whether or not this would be a good thing to have? So this is the question. Uh, do people really think that the system is broken? My answer would be no. There have been talks about this sort of system in the past in Ontario. Uh, there was a referendum. And yeah, there was an, a referendum on uh, the mixed member proportional system, actually, that our other guest, Alex Cruz, was talking about. But yes, go ahead. Yeah, it, the referendum failed. And I don't think we saw much support from it from anybody. It didn't get a lot of airtime in that election, just like this past federal election. There's nobody banging the drum saying, hey, we need this. This is something that's desirable and we must change a broken system. I'd argue the system really isn't broken. You bring up an important point here, Jim, because I should say first, other jurisdictions in Canada have had referendums on whether or not they want to change from first past the post. They all failed. But in the case of Ontario, I know anyway, the government didn't allow itself or the other parties to actually explain to people what the proposed new system was. They made a law saying that you couldn't talk about it if you were a political party. So you kind of have this problem where the folks who should be explaining it maybe don't want to. Well, there was a campaign and the parties didn't explain it, sure. But there was definitely a campaign that was promoting mixed proportional system. They had television ads, they had radio ads. There wasn't a no campaign though. There was no organized no campaign, yet the no campaign won. And you wouldn't just chalk that up to ignorance. You would just chalk that up to people saying we're okay with the status quo. Yeah. But I also, you know, if you want to talk about ignorance, there is plenty of ignorance when it comes down to any election campaign. That's d democracy. Fair. There are governments elected on ignorance, right? And even if you have a proportional representation system, there will be parties where ignorant get elected. If you uh, have a system where... Uh, all you need is 5% of the vote to get into Parliament. Think about our society. Are there 5% of people? Are they ignorant? So the Liberal government campaigned saying they wanted some kind of electoral reform. It's worth noting that the NDP also said that they wanted electoral reform in this campaign. So Liberals haven't told us what they want yet. Would you be open to just having a process where we don't choose a system and offer it to voters? We just have a big national conversation about options well the liberals uh came out with their um or the prime minister came out with his mandate letters can you just help our listeners by explaining what a mandate letter is so a mandate letter goes out to the ministers from the prime minister saying these are the items i would like you as a minister to pursue so the minister in charge of democratic reform trudeau gave her mandate letter and i'll just read to you what exactly it says uh, verbatim. Uh, bring forward a proposal to establish a special parliamentary committee to consult on electoral reform, including preferential ballots, proportional representation, mandatory voting, and online voting. It's interesting that in the Liberal platform, it actually said this will be the last election under first past the post. Mm -hmm. But now they're talking about bringing in a special parliamentary committee to consult on electoral reform. So I can't see them actually implementing this by the next election. I think this will be probably one of the promises that the Liberals will break. You would think it's an easy one to keep because it doesn't involve money. 
Right. So, oh, all we have to do is just change the electoral system. I think it's a lot more difficult than people writing the platform uh, a year ago were sitting down and saying, oh, we'll promise this, we'll promise that. If we have the public conversation about it and people are at least better educated on it than we have been previously, then why would it be such a huge constitutional problem if the voters said, yes, we want electoral reform? How do you bring about electoral reform? You would have to do it through a referendum. You would have to do it with consultation with the provinces. Right. Maybe this is a great thing that there would be an actual conversation about electoral reform and it goes to referendum. My prediction is it loses and that's the end of it. Okay. And that's what McGinty did yeah. with his proportional representation commitment because he said there was a democratic deficit. He was elected with a mandate. Uh, and Dalton McGinty would be the previous premier of Ontario. That's right. He comes out with this referendum for mixed proportional representation and it fails. And that was the end of it in Ontario. So we see this conversation and for whatever reason, I think there's a constituency out there who strongly believes in it and they end up voting for the party that promises it and then nothing really happens. Okay, uh, well, proponents say, and Alex Cruz was saying earlier, that it moves politics towards the middle, that uh, parties have to hash out issues rather than sort of throwing ideological bombs across party lines. So what essentially is wrong with that? You know, I have really a hard time believing that when you have to make coalition agreements with fringe parties that you're somehow moving to the middle. I think if you look at Canada's history, we've had governments that I'd say govern from the middle. You look at conservative government or just past one, Jim Flaherty, finance minister, he put a lot of money into um, economic stimulus, right? But he was criticized heavily by the C.D. Howe Institute. C.D. Howe Institute at that time was chaired by a guy by the name of Bill Marneau. He's now the current uh, finance current, minister. Current finance minister under Trudeau. Yeah. So we live in this situation where we have a finance minister being criticized for spending too much. <laughs> and now the person who was criticizing him was elected on a mandate to spend more. So I think our current government governs from the center to tradition of our government, governs from the center for the most part. You know, a lot of conservatives, and I know quite a few of them, were unhappy with the way that Stephen Harper governed. I know there's a lot of people on the left that think he was a radical right-winger. A lot of them think he sold out, that he wasn't right-wing enough. He wasn't conservative enough. He didn't cut spending. He didn't get rid of the CBC. Jim, you're a conservative. You've worked for conservatives. I mean, what do you think about the fact that the liberals have a stranglehold on power federally now, they got 39% of the vote. The Conservatives got 32% of the vote and have nowhere near the amount of seats that they you know, would have in a proportional system. Do you not feel ripped off by a party with 39% of the vote getting to completely control the House of Commons for the next four years? Well, I mean, I don't feel ripped off because it, you, know, you know the rules going into the game. You don't have to get all the votes. You just have to get more than the other person. And I don't want to ever look at national numbers. I always try to look at local numbers, right? How many votes does it take to win a certain seat? To tell you the truth, that's what parties look at. What really hurt the Conservatives in this past election is the collapse of the NDP because a lot of the anti-Conservative vote went over to the Liberals, right? Strategically, you know, in Etobicoke Center, uh, Ted Opitz actually increased the number of votes that he received. Like he. 
And know, it should be mentioned that you were Ted Opitz's campaign manager. I was. I was. I was Ted's campaign manager. And, you know, we had a target of how many votes we thought we needed to win. And uh, we kind of fell short just by a bit. But I thought that was overshooting to begin with. But turnout was very high. So we got more votes than we did in the, in the previous election. But your candidate, Ted Opitz, still lost to uh, Boris Wisniewski. Right. So wouldn't that be a little bit unfair that he's actually done better than he did in the previous election and he was still unseated? No, I, I don't think Ted thinks that's unfair. Definitely Boris doesn't think that's unfair. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> but Boris got more votes than anybody in Etobicoke Center. So he deserves to win. We can't come up with a magic formula that says, well, if you mix in the NDP vote with the conservative vote, you'll have more votes than Boris. It doesn't work that way. I think when the Reform Party was around and the conservative and progressive conservative party was around, there was always this assumption that the Reform Party went away, that all of those votes would be automatically transferred to the PC party. Uh, that wasn't the case. Well, um, there is a way that it, they could automatically be transferred. I mean, if we used ranked ballots, for example. Right. You know, so right. what's what's wrong with the idea that, you know, if you're candidate doesn't win. Let's say that, you know, Tanya DeMello came in third in the Tobacco Center. Yeah. And then so because her votes were last among the major parties, then a voter walks into the booth and says, okay, well, if Tanya doesn't win, I want to vote for Ted Opitz. What's right. wrong with that? So personally, I, if, there, if there is electoral reform I, I can stomach, it would be the ranked ballots. Uh, the parties do ranked balloting when they select a candidate. The only thing is, is that you do elect somebody who is your second choice, right? I think some people would decline putting in a second choice. And it would really hurt incumbents because incumbents, there's always a anybody but the incumbent vote. Always. The recurring theme I'm hearing you say here is that you can't just dream up an idea of reform and implement it without thinking about how our system currently works and what you'd have to change to get that done. Right. And also... It's hard for us to sit here and really debate something when there's nothing really on the table. We can speculate about what this is going to look like. And even it, even in, uh, I'm just going to say Australia, New Zealand, in New Zealand, uh, they had a referendum in 2011 to keep the mixed proportional system that they have. Uh, I think it passed 56%, which is a solid mandate. However, they keep talking about changing it. There were a few scandals on how parties were kind of teaming up with each other, supporting each other. You know, they were voting strategically, which was against the rules for certain candidates who would support them. Like, there are problems with it. So nothing is perfect. So as soon as you open this Pandora's box, you will be tinkering it with it constantly because you'll find out new problems. Again, it's it's like, you know, this is the worst system, except for all the others. That's, that's, that's the basis of my argument is that the there are a lot of problems that will arise as we bring in any new electoral measures. Well, we appreciate your having questions about the reforms and coming in to talk with us about them. Hang on, one last question before oh, you go. Oh, so the, the, oh. the original question that we had on a scale of shrug emoji to mushroom cloud emoji, where do you fall on the spectrum? So it depends what nuclear bomb are we using here, right? Like, <laughs> what does it what does it look like? Because it could be a ten. We, you know, it could be a disaster, or it could be a, a six. That's our episode for this week. If you'd like to continue the conversation on social media, and I highly suggest you do, just go ahead and search for us on Twitter. Look for Canada Land Commons. It'll be the first result you find. 
Also, go to the Canada Land Show website, that's canadalandshow.com, and sign up for a newsletter. Not sorry. If you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us by email at desmond at canadalandshow.com or andre at canadalandshow.com. This week's episode was produced by Kevin Sexton. Music by Nathan Burley. Since you like this show so much, support us by chipping in. That's patreon.com slash canadaland. Also, when you go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast, please make sure to give us that wonderful five-star rating. The next episode of Canada Land Shortcuts will be out on Thursday, and the next episode of Canada Land Commons will be up next Tuesday. Until then. Peace. I think there are a lot of people who feel that uh, we can make the uh, sausage making better, but... uh, it's one of these situations. And right? sausage making doesn't refer to the fact that there's all dudes in this room who are recording. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you jumped on that. Yeah, 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 Sorry, so I'm right. such a child.